Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast for another episode with your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, here today, uh, we are going to talk about uh, a topic uh, has been in the news recently, uh, and we uh, I want to run through the statistics of, of why this is the case, and, and, and again, re-educate uh, providers on the uh, podcast uh, about why the antibody test for COVID-19 is sometimes situationally useful and sometimes situationally not useful. Um, we're going to do a little bit of minor statistics work, uh, but we're going to we're going to focus most of our efforts after I lay out the ba- the background um, into how do we talk about this with patients and and educate them when people want to get antibody tested. Um, so uh, before we jump into it today, we're going to talk about uh, here at the Primate Care Pod at gmail.com inbox, uh, Doctor List. Uh, Thank you for uh, emailing me anonymous. Wants to also remain anonymous. Uh, I want to know, Dr. List, where do you get all of your dad jokes? You know, uh, anonymous, this is a great question. Um, me and Bob were just talking about this the other day. Bob was asking me, you know, hey, Dr. List, that's what Bob sounds like. I know he's never been on the podcast before, but that's what he sounds like. Um, he said, oh, uh, hey, Mark, uh, oh, what's, uh, what's, what's up with all the dad jokes? Where do you get them all? And I, I looked at Bob and I said, from my database. Dad a base. All right, Bob, hit the music. Let's start it. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, pod people. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List, uh, your COVID companion, your favorite podcasting host, your best friend. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in again for another episode. Uh, thanks for uh, bearing with me. I took a little break over Memorial Day uh, and back at it, though, with another episode. Today, I want to talk about, um, recently, it's a lot, been a lot in the news. I'm sure you're getting just as many questions in your primary care clinics as I have been about uh, about the antibody test, about ordering it for patients um, who think that they had it but couldn't get a test, who had the test but tested negative but really, really think they had it. Um, some people, I, I mentioned the podcast before, um, the fact that they had a viral illness, but it was before the time that COVID was actually in their community. But was it early COVID? We know we hear all these you know, conspiracy theories that maybe COVID has been here since December. Uh, a patient of mine to- told me that yesterday. He's convinced that he had it in December, um, even though you know that's really uh, like less than 0% chance that that's actually a real thing. Because um, I'm, I'm sure you read about it on a social media post somewhere. But, uh, you know, so what do we do with people who want to get antibody studies? And some people are just curious. You know, they've been out in the community. They hear that it can be asymptomatic. They want to know about the antibody studies. Um, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. You know, clearly uh, this is all new. And patients have concerns, um, whether, again, whether or not they had this, whether or not uh, they've already been exposed. Um I, I, I want to touch briefly. We're not going to mention a bunch about IgM today. I think IgM is straight trash. I think the data on IgM as a useful um, way to test if a patient is positive without, I mean, just get the nasal pharyngeal swab. Uh, by now, almost all states have had dialing up their ability to do the nasal pharyngeal nucleic acid swabs. So get the regular swabs. The blood test antibody to detect an acute, you know, an acute infection, I think the data on that is really poor. IgM being obviously the first antibody produced, um, and then it, it tends to be a really unreliable marker of an active or recent infection. Uh, I'm going to focus my discussion really today on IgG, 
because um, I don't I don't really like the IgM discussion. If you're using that as a way to diagnose people, I think you're going to run into a whole lot of trouble. So I think it's trash based on all of the available research. So let's talk about IgG because IgG it's in the news a lot right now. Obviously, they say you know you have a 50-50 chance. Whether you're I read an article on CNN uh, uh, the other day about because um, a patient said, "Is it really only 50 percent?" I went and looked at that article. CNN says, "Oh, your chance of having an IgG positive antibody test only means that it's a 50-50 shot." So patients were asking me, you know, why would I even get the antibody test if it's a 50-50 chance that, that my positive actually means anything? And, and I think everyone, uh, doctors included, are really bad at basic statistics and specificity and sensitivity. Um, we all learn that in medical school uh, or PA school, NP school, who's ever listening to this. And I, I want to touch briefly on this because this is such an important topic. Because some of the early antibody tests that were rushed out had really bad sensitivity and specificities, like specificities at like 95%, sensitivities in the 90%, 90-95% for both. Uh, that, that might not sound bad, but when we're talking about low prevalence disease, those are really garbage tests. I'm not going to focus on the bad antibody studies because if you ask your lab tech, what's the, you know, can you send me the package insert? Can you send me the more in the information about my antibody study that we're using? It's clearly labeled. Um, I, I reached out to our organization's um, guru on antibody testing, and he sent me our, our package insert basically on our antibody studies. And ours has a 98.1% to 100% specificity and a roughly the same for sensitivity. Sensitivity is probably a little bit higher. So we are today for our calculations, we're going to use 98%, the lowest possible sensitivity and specificity, um, just for comparison as a worst case scenario, because it could be even better. Um, but we're going to look at um, my metro population of Anawa, um, and Anawa's, uh, Anawa's po total population that we kind of take care of in our, in our little, our little metro area is about a quarter of a million people. So 250,000 people. And, you know, when we look at disease, you know, so if you want to practice your, your board review right now for statistics, we're going to draw a little four, a two by two box, right? A little four square box top uh, on the, the top axis is disease. You're going to have positives on the left, negatives on the right. Um, and then on the left-hand side, your left axis is going to be test, test positive, test negative. So that top left corner will be true positives, bottom right corner, true negatives, top right corner, false positives, bottom left corner, false negatives. Now, 0% of you probably are going to draw this box and pause this. Um, so that's just how you set up a two by two false negative, false positive box. Okay. Uh, so we're not going to worry too much about that. But I, I think the importance to remember when we when we're going to talk about the basics and then we'll 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 frame this in our discussion with patients. So in my community, we have had in the two counties. So I'm including that with the two counties that we serve. Um, the total population is about a quarter of a million. So we've had thirty five hundred positive tests. Right. We know we missed a ton and we know we missed a ton of uh, asymptomatics that didn't even get testing. But I, I want to put that I want to put that frame that we've had thirty five hundred three thousand five hundred positive tests. So that's a prevalence of one point four percent in our two county region. OK, really, really low. I don't think it's that low. It's definitely higher. We're going to talk about that later. But if you do the math, the top left box, the true positives is thirty four thirty. So three thousand four hundred thirty. The false positives, when you do the math, right? So how do we do the math? You take 98% times the 3,500 total tests that were positive, and you get 
34, 30 true positives. And then you have 70 false negatives, right? So you're going to have people that had a falsely negative test, but that's thankfully really, really, really rare for the antibody studies, right? Um, so these are these are 35 people that we know had the nasal pharyngeal swab, and we're assuming that they actually had the disease. And so we 98% um, sensitivity, uh, which is you know true positive by total disease positives. That's how we come up with those numbers in the left-hand column. The right-hand column, uh, for those of you following along at home, again, this is the majority of people because the majority of people, 98.6% of the people in my community have not tested positive, do not have the disease, we're assuming. So we would antibody study them, and with a 98% specificity, which is true negatives divided by the total disease negatives, again, following at home, doing the math, you have 246,500 people that don't have the disease in the community. So what do your boxes look like? That top right box, the false positive. So people who have positive antibody studies that don't actually have the disease or never have the disease, 4,930. And the true negatives... 241,570. Okay, so that makes for terrible podcasting, but I want to lay out those numbers because if the prevalence is low, if the prevalence is low, if the prevalence in my community is only 1.4%, that means that a positive IgG antibody only has a positive predictive value of 41%. As, so so 59% of the time, a positive IgG antibody in my community is going to be a false positive. Assuming the prevalence is that low, which it isn't, but that's assuming you're in an area with really low. Some of our international viewers are in countries that have, they did the lockdowns very well. They did contract tracing very well. You might have a prevalence around 2% in your communities. That's probably not likely for if you live in America, but uh, th- that this could be what you are seeing. Your IgG test, a positive test, is straight garbage at low prevalence. Um, again, you can do the math to double check my math, but um, the, 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 but the negative predictive value, 99%. So I just underwent an antibody study based on uh, ANAWAS doing some epidemiological studies at healthcare workers. I'm, I'm negative. So there's a 99.9% chance that my negative is a true negative. So sigh, Womp womp. I'm, I didn't get coronavirus. All right. So how do we frame this when we talk to our patients about this? Think about the fact that if you're in a community that doesn't have very many cases, patients know that, you know, patients know, um, in my area, they can read the, they see the newspaper, they see the website and they see, oh yeah, there's only 3,500 cases. And yet there's a quarter of a million people that live in this metro area. Okay. So not very many people have it. So I tell people, all of the people that don't have it, who have never tested positive, who have, have either not tested, who have tested negative or never tested, um, and who don't have disease, even at 98%, even if the test is 98%, I'm going to use the term accurate with my patients, 98% times a really big number, that 2% is bigger than 98% of a very, very, very small number. Okay, so you don't have to use a quarter of a million. You could use 100 people and you could say, you know, uh, if 100 people at 1% prevalence, that means 1% uh, 1% of the population. So one person has it and 99% of people don't have it. Uh, you know, 98% of 99 is basically 99 positive, uh, 99, 99 truly negative and 1% falsely positive. But we only have one person who tested positive. So we have one false positive and one True positive. So one false positive, one true positive. It's a 50-50 shot. So that's how I explain it to patients about how it's really 
while the prevalence is really low, it's a garbage test. Now, in my community, the quote-unquote city experts, which I don't know how they come up with this number, actually uh, estimate or predict that 35, 34 to 35,000 people actually have it. So 10 times the actual prevalence. And I think this is based on the fact that we know nationwide in the United States anyways, again, internationally, you guys are doing better than we are at this, but internationally, or locally um, in the United States, domestically, we're really missing a lot of the cases. We all see this. We have p- patients who say, I had it, but they said I couldn't get tested. Um, some states have really limited testing capabilities. And then we're missing a lot of asymptomatic people too. So let's not pretend that like, you know, all these people, you know, don't have the disease. A lot of these people have disease, but are asymptomatic. So let's say that the city is right and that we have a 14% prevalence. Okay. 14% prevalence. That's, that's reasonable. Um, that's, that's, you know, far from herd immunity, but that's a reasonable estimate based on what's in the community. We're 10 times underestimating the real number of cases. So if you do the math, I'm going to I'm not going to bore you with reading out all those numbers. Again, if you want to practice your statistics, if you want to practice calculating the tables and what they look like in your negative and positive predictive values for boards, uh, feel free to rewind and re-listen. 0% of you will do that. I encourage you to do it um, to stay sharp for boards and and practice your own statistics, but I understand nobody's a big nerd like me. Um, But let's say that there is 14% predicted prevalence in your community. In America, that's probably true. In some international communities, that's probably also true. At 14% prevalence, or the estimated prevalence in my community, this test gets a lot better. The positive predictive value, just going from 1.4% prevalence to 14% prevalence, changes from our 41% positive predictive value to the this, this current estimate of 88% positive predictive value. So then you can actually, you know, somewhat rely more accurately on your IgG testing if your community has more cases in reality. Now, how do we guess the prevalence? That is... That's a great question. That's why ANOA is doing these epidemiological studies. That's why they're trying to get a sense of, okay, we're just going to take all comers uh, and we're going to test them. And, and this is, they're testing healthcare workers to, to see if there's a difference between community healthcare workers versus, you know, us in the clinics versus those in the ER on the front lines. Um, but 88% positive predictive value is not bad. The negative predictive value is still 99.6%. So again, negative tests are still really, really accurate. Let's, let's, let's scale this up. Let's imagine that we now have a vaccine or we have now had it rip through our country two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, and we have a 65% prevalence. We are at that herd immunity number, which, uh, you know, depends on where you live. That R is that R zero value determines what your herd immunity needs to be somewhere between 60 and 75% is kind of the, the, the estimate based on, based on your R value, your R not value. So uh, I'm going to assume 65% prevalence in my community. Right. So let's imagine now that we are using a titer, this IgG antibody study to say, are you immune? Do you need a vaccine? Are you immune? Have you had it? Are you immune? Um, do we need to booster you? Do we need to, you know, uh, what, what's the value of our IgG test now? Right. If that's how we want to check like our long term care, nursing home populations, whatever. So at 65 percent prevalence, which, again, hopefully we either get from vaccine immunity or herd immunity, which God help us if. If we get to 65% based on natural herd immunity, oof, we're going to have a lot of deaths. Um, but at 65% prevalence, the positive predictive value of this antibody study is 98.9%. I'll spare you the math. You can calculate the math out yourself. Go back, rewind, listen to the podcast, do it yourself. Negative predictive value actually drops um, because, again, there are now fewer people that should be negative. But the negative predictive value is still at 96%. 
So suddenly when we get to the point where we're starting to do titers, we're starting to look at um, if you if you took, if your vaccination took, if uh, if you've if you've been exposed in your community um, because we have a super high prevalence, that that becomes a really, really, really accurate uh, antibody study. So, you know, we had a, a, a local, a lot of people did, had local outbreak with a meatpacking plant, uh, a big factory. And they, they are approaching, based on the estimates and based on some epidemiological studies, they're approaching herd immunity. They're approaching that 60% cutoff. And we're seeing that in other communities as well, that they're already approaching um, in these small little factories or small little communities, small little meatpacking plants, jails, nursing homes, approaching 65, you know, 60, 65% prevalence, the antibody studies become incredibly valuable. So right now in your community, in my community, antibody studies are not great. Um, as the prevalence goes up, as the disease spreads, as the more we're in this pandemic, the antibodies test becomes better and a better predictive. We can, we can actually trust our true positives. We can actually trust our positive, we can actually trust our negatives, which we should always be trusting our negatives. Um, and then it gets really good in a year from now, two years from now, post-vaccine, uh, the antibody study becomes really good. So how do we explain it to patients? We explain it to patients, well, it, it depends on where you are. Because if you're in a community that's, you know, seen a big wave come through, the antibody study is good. And, and you can tell people that the studies that you see on TV, the news article that you read on TV about the antibody study only being a 50-50 chance, is only true for communities that haven't been hit hard right? It, with low prevalence. And you don't have to walk them through the actual math, but you can, you know, use that, use that 100 person sample size, you know, 100 people, if, on, if only one person in the community has it, that, yeah, that's a true positive, but those 99% get tested. Even if our test is, you know, quote accurate, um, you're still going to have one false positive. And so that makes all of our positives a 50-50 chance between a true positive and a false positive. So again, you can use that 100-person example to explain why at low populations, low prevalences, um, at, low po- at low prevalence within the population, your test is bad. At high prevalence or at higher, at increasing prevalences, the test becomes more useful. Again, I- I'm not recommending IgM uh, as a means to test if somebody has the disease, use the nasal pharyngeal swabs. The IgM is really unreliable and a really, really bad test in general. But the IgG, I think, is a really, really good test, and it's 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 bad right now if your prevalence is low, but as your prevalence increases, it's a good test. So we're going to wrap up today saying uh, thanks for bearing with me on the statistics lecture. Oh, my God. Did you guys just sit through an 18-minute statistics lecture? Oh, I, I am going to give you a refund of the price of your podcast today. But hopefully you're better prepared for boards. Hopefully you're better prepared to have these discussions with your patients about the pros and cons of antibody testing. Maybe maybe hold off if you're in a community that's not been hit by it very hard. Hold off until there's a higher prevalence. Uh, that way the antibody test is a better, you know, it's no longer a coin flip. It becomes closer in that 80 or 90% range of a positive predictive value. Um, and again, have these conversations with your patients uh, knowing that there's a risk and a benefit uh to doing a test. The risk is if I tell somebody, oh yeah, you're positive, you had this, and we're in a low prevalence and it was actually a false positive, um, I could do more harm to that patient. They could actually get it and have symptomatic disease. They could now get it and pass it to their, to their, to their neighbors, to their, uh, to their at-risk parents, grandparents, etc. So again, be cautious, be judicious with the use of this antibody test. Don't just order it for everybody willy-nilly without understanding the full consequences of your actions, depending on where you live and where you practice. I hope this was helpful. Uh, thanks. And, and uh, remember, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Um, we'll get back to the actual studies here soon uh, as life gets back to normal. Um, thanks for tuning in. 
It's your Ben Dr. Mark List with the Primary Care Podcast. Email us at primarycarepod at gmail.com. Thanks and have a good night.